Okay, so podcast of the week. Um, this week, my selection is a talk which Marguerite Vestager gave at the DLD conference uh, last year. Uh, it may seem a little bit dated, but it's not in a very real way uh, because I think she's uh, probably the most important person when you think about tech policy today. So why this week? Well, this week we had the Equifax hack. You know, 140 million plus people had their accounts hacked at Equifax and the company dealt with that in kind of a screwed up way. Um, and, and this is a company that's supposed to be a trust bank, essentially. It's supposed to be a company that other companies use to verify trust on people. And the fact that we can't trust them uh, to keep our data safe, I think, is, um, um, is telling um, and is worrying. So, uh, so that was one thing. And then the second thing is, is that there's been an initiative, which I think was kicked off by somebody in the French parliament, uh, in regards to taxing um, U.S. tech companies in Europe, so generally the you know the uh, the questions that I'm thinking about in regards to this talk and the podcast this week I actually included in this um, in this segment, so it follows immediately um, because it was a YouTube video, and so I converted it into a podcast. I thought it should live as a podcast, so. It's going to follow right after this instead of being a linked podcast. Um, but I think that the things which came out of this, or which I th I'm thinking about a lot, are the first thing is is that uh, our data and the rights that we have as users uh, to know who we're sharing our data with. And in the talk, uh, uh, she Vestager says that you know we should have the same legal rights with our data, whether we pay whether we pay for something with cash or we pay for something with our data. And I thought that was both insightful and an interesting way of framing it because all too many services today, we pay online with our data and um, we get very few rights associated with that. Um, the second thing is, is that she talks about uh, in the talk about fragmentation. And I think that we're now living in a fragmented sort of splinter net world um, where uh, you're going to have different regulation by region and we've got uh, four or five uh, major regions around the world and then some sub-regions but I think whether it's in India or whether it's in Russia or obviously in China uh, and in Europe you're just going to have different regulation for tech and I think that that's, uh, that's going to be uh, very it's going to be challenging for tech companies that want to build things based on single standards and want to have uniformity because tech thrives on uniformity and I think the reality is we're gonna we're heading into a world where there's going to be very different regional standards around data um, and then the last thing is is that she says that she doesn't believe we need a new rule book for uh, for tech regulation and I thought that was particularly interesting you know years ago I was an expert witness in the Microsoft antitrust trial I spent a couple of days on the stand there and I thought most of you know what happened there was uh, was dysfunctional and could have been handled differently by the market. Yet I agree with her that at a very high level, the general principles of regula regulatory policy, you know, protection of consumers and rights that consumers have and and the rights that businesses have at a high level are they don't change. But I think that what does need to change is the implementation of how and where, which level of the stack uh, tech regulation takes place. Uh, so anyway, so uh, the talk follows right after this. As I said, it was originally 
Oh, it came from a YouTube video of her speaking at DLD. There are no slides in it, so I think it translates well into a podcast. Um, I hope you find it interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you for the warm welcome and for the hospitality as a newcomer. Um, I think it's, uh, it's an honor to be invited here. Uh, I'd say, uh, at least by my daughters, I, I wouldn't have the qualification to, to discuss digital design. Of course, as uh, anyone else, I'm a heavy user. I use my apps to improve my language skills in order to be able to communicate with people in real life. Uh, I shop on the internet. I use Twitter to talk with people about the line of work that I do. And I very, very much appreciate how people can interact via tech solutions. Because basically, this is what it's all about. These are the challenges that we have these years, is to enable people to get in touch. There is no such thing as a quick fix. We have to come together and to try to leave our um, second-hand, second-best, suboptimal private solutions in order to find common solutions. And that also goes in the markets. Because when we see innovative services, well, then we can do things that simply was not possible before. And when that happens, I am of the very strong belief that if we want that to happen, then we need competition. We need the strive. We need sort of the adrenaline that want us to do better than the next one. This is the only way to make sure that new ideas have a fair chance, that they can actually be presented. They, they don't just stay on the desk, in the circle, uh, in the garage, wherever, but that there actually is a way to present them to consumers. Which, of course, means that it's a main aim of competition to make sure that markets are open open for business, open for competitors. I think this is the only way also to make sure that consumers have a fair deal. I don't, uh, I don't have any problem with mergers. On the contrary, it's also a sign of ambition and competition. But they mustn't significantly reduce competition. You cannot just go out there and buy yourself a monopoly. There has to be competition also post-merger. Otherwise, and that is anything but theory, that is real life, it has been seen, unfortunately, many times. The risk is, of course, of higher prices, falling quality, and lesser choice. And we want things the other way around. And in, in that respect, technology markets are no different from any other market. What is different is the pace of change. And people see that. They feel that. They participate. They see how companies in almost no time can have millions of users. And uh, that makes them wonder, 
Well, then who are here to protect me as a consumer? Who can we rely on? Well, some of them that you should be able to rely on are those who enforce competition law. But one of the worries that a lot of people have these days, and I will talk partly about that and partly about privacy, is how their data are being used. I think it's uh, very important, and I think it's a fact of life that this agenda is taken extremely seriously. Because uh, privacy is a fundamental way of being. If we cannot be private, well, then who are we? How can we then have an identity and not just be same as the next? I think it is crucial that we have the right to decide with whom we will share our data and for what purpose. But the thing is that there are also enormous benefits in sharing. Enormous benefits. Things that we could only dream of before we were able to share data to the very large extent that we see it today. New ways of curing incurable diseases, new ways of organizing transportation, new ways of organizing our fight against climate change. Enormous benefits. So there is a balance to be struck here between the rights, the obvious rights of the individ individual to be him or herself and to decide, and the obvious benefit also for the individual of sharing. I could have uh, wasted your time today by telling you things about myself. But if you want to know, it's an easy Google search. And you will know more about me than I probably prefer. You will be able to see me walk my dog on French television. You will know the problems I had in Danish politics. It's just at your fingertip. If you read through my Twitter feeds, and Twitter will ask you if Twitter should translate from my native Danish to any language that you can understand, well, then you will know a lot about me and how I think. These are incredible tools, incredibly powerful tools. And they seem to be available for free. In many cases, though, there is a currency in which we can pay for these services, and that currency is, of course, our data. And the thing is that it's not anymore just a slogan that data is the currency of the modern economy. It is real world. The challenges there are many, though, because you can't just, you know, tap into whatever uh, exchange app you might have on your phone if you travel a lot to know, well, what is the exchange rate? How much data should I give up in order to be able to share my photos, to post a message? to watch a television show? Well, it's very, very hard to know. But it is obvious that it's a business transaction and not a free giveaway. So we as citizens, and in this respect as consumers, still have the right to be treated fairly, as if we had paid 
in cash. And this is one of the work streams in the Commission. This is to make sure that we as consumers are treated fairly. And we do that in a number of different respects. When we analyze things, when we ask you questions, look at our case on Microsoft's takeover of Skype, or the proposal of digital contracts that we adopted last month as part of our work with the digital single market. That proposal aims at giving consumers the same legal rights to their content when they buy music or movies, whether they pay with cash or with their data. But as well as uh, giving us services at no cash pay, the data-driven economy can make it much better. Obviously, living outside of my home country, I use e-commerce quite a lot. And I'm very impressed about how accurately these services can predict my interests. Of course, it happens that my daughters use my accounts. That sort of blurs the pictures a little. Some of those series that they like is not exactly my line of, uh, line of taste. But in general, they make a very good job. They make life easier. And uh, every second European seems not only to think so, but actually also to act on these thoughts. They use e-commerce. Uh, every second European bought something online last year. And then, of course, one of the things that is important for me and for my colleagues is to enable this to happen, to make sure that we don't have a renationalization but we have a true European digital market with all the benefits that come from it. It is thought-provoking that less than 10% of our SMEs, they do cross-border e-commerce, even though it seems so easy. And we started to wonder why, and we have been asking why, and a lot of you has probably helped us in our inquiries. The results are coming in now, and uh, to kick off the debate, I plan to launch an issue paper on geo-blocking before Easter. Very focused, trying to be precise in order to get that discussion uh, even further on. These different kinds of, of uh, services, they're hugely popular for good reasons. So it's an a obvious assumption to think, well, then people must be happy. Well, they may be happy with the services, but they do not seem to be happy with the way their privacy is protected. A recent survey found that less than a quarter of people trust businesses to protect their personal information. Being in an innovative audience, I would expect that that would make any one of you to rush away to make the business where the business idea is to protect uh, privacy. But this must be thought-provoking, because no matter how modern we are, no matter how digital we are, trust is still the core of any transaction. Can I trust the people that I'm dealing with? The minute trust is broken down, things become lengthier, more expensive, less secure. And if only a quarter of people 
trust businesses in the protection of personal information, well, then I think we have a challenge. It may be a competition problem. Some say that if the market worked properly, well, then companies couldn't get on with uh, letting down their customers. Of course, there may be some truth in that, but I don't think that one should suggest that companies break competition rules like that. For me, the real question isn't whether companies are competing to offer more privacy, welcome uh, as, that, as that is, but for us to have the right protection rules in place. Unfortunately, the European Parliament and the European Council, just before Christmas, passed new data protection regulation. And this makes the data protection for the digital single market. These new rules require data protection to be built in in the services from the very start. They promote for businesses to use and develop innovative services using data without compromising privacy. And, of course, they clarify the right to be forgotten. The right actually to turn it off, to put it away, not to wear it anymore, and just to erase your traces so that you have the freedom of choice. And they allow users to transfer data from one provider to another. This is freedom to be able to be forgotten, but also to be able to take your things and go away. Anyone who's been divorced will know that. So, well, I don't think that we need to look to competition enforcement to fix privacy problems. But that doesn't mean that we will ignore it if we analyze a merger, if we have a suspicion or a concern when it comes to antitrust, if it has a link to data, of course we'll look. And therefore, just finally, a few words on data as an asset. Because uh, basically I'm happy that businesses and companies are working together to standardize privacy protection on the internet. But that shouldn't be made in a way that makes it more difficult for smaller players to compete. Same goes with big data. Not talking about personal data uh, as such, but the huge collection of data that companies can use to understand their environments in ways that they never, ever could have done before. It means that companies can cut, trust, cut costs, they can serve their customers much better. This is, of course, good news. For instance, I'm glad to hear that some transportation companies, they can use data to analyze and they can gain enormous benefits by cutting the routes when they deliver. It's super good for the company. It's very good for the climate and for the environment as such. Recommendation for consumers, very helpful as well. But the thing is that if just a few companies control the data you need to satisfy customers and cut costs, then you could give them the power to just drive rivals out of the market. And with less competition, there is a risk that there will not be enough incentive 
for companies to use data to serve customers better. If a company's use of data is so bad for competition that it outweighs the benefits, then we may have to stay, step in in order to restore the level playing field. But we shouldn't take action just because a company holds a lot of data. After all, data doesn't necessarily or automatically equals power. It might not be easy to build a strong market position without the use of data, but also data that quickly goes out of date. So we need also to take a specific look at what kind of data we're talking about. Is it truly valuable? Or has it a sell date that is very, very soon? And we also need to ask how competitors can get hold of equally good information. What is to stop them from collecting the same kind of data from the customers or buying data from a data analytics company? The Commission looked at this in two merger cases, the Google acquisition of DoubleClick and Facebook's purchase of WhatsApp. In particular circumstances of those cases, there was no serious case for concern because even after those mergers, other companies would have access to large resources of useful data. One of the great benefits of a conference like this is that you come together with different insights, different competences, because one of the things that we're most aware of in the Commission is that none of the very interesting questions can be solved by either competition nor privacy, nor IP rights, or any related issues. This is a conference that promises the possibility of synthesizing instead of just analyzing, and therefore coming together with new solutions for the challenges ahead of us. That doesn't mean that I will not do my job, because obviously, once in a while, we have a serious competition concern or we have an antitrust issue, and then, of course, we'll do our best. But I hope that it is clear that we don't need a completely new rule book when it comes to competition. Because basically, when we find a behavior that is damaging not only competitors, but competition, and therefore the citizens and uh, the consumers, well, what we find at the bottom of it is very basic. It's greed and it's fear. And that, of course, we will do our best to find. But we didn't need a new rule book when in a world of fax machines or one of uh, credit cards or a world of personal computers. What we need is, of course, to pay attention and to take action when it's necessary. And then to work with other people because no one no competition law enforcer either can solve every problem on their own. But the contribution that we can give is to do our best to keep the market open, keep the playing field level, in order to enable innovators, businesses, business angels, all of you who come together to produce products, to introduce them to customers. And basically, it's not just about business. It's about our societies, because when people are unable to come together, then they may solve some of the challenges 
that we would otherwise just have to live with or to die with. And in that respect, this year's conference is so well placed for you to engage in, also to engaging in solving some of the problems that is written in Europe right now.